Hello Pod, this is Chris Hewitt and welcome to a very, very special Empire Podcast. We had the great Taron Stamp in the pod booth recently to talk about his magnificent and storied career from Far From The Madding Crowd to The Collector to, of course, General Sod in Superman and Superman 2. Now we brought you about 20 minutes of it in the Empire Podcast, so we decided to bring you the full, unexpurgated 50-minute version. It is fantastic. Enjoy. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by a bona fide legend now. The man who was, of course, Freddie Clegg in The Collector, Billy Budd in Billy Budd, Wilson in The Limey, Sergeant Troy in Far From The Madding Crowd. You can hear him sipping his tea there. Um, John Tunstall. General Zod. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting that. You're an Empire favourite, sir. General Zod in Superman and Superman 2. It's my absolute pleasure to say hello, Terrence Stamp. How are you? Good morning, guys. How's it going? So far, so good. <laughs> we'll do our best not to this change This is that. the centre of the universe, is it? Absolutely, this right This is now. Empire, where it all happens. This is where it all happens. Okay. Uh, so you've just been doing some uh, ADR. Yeah, you know, I had to fly in this morning to do... Uh, they, they, we always forget about ADR, you know. And uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't annoyed, but I always say to the sound man on the set, look, if it's not perfect, tell me, and I'll do one now, you know. Yeah. But there's always ADR, so I... <laughs> just completed it and it wasn't too bad because it wasn't like a uh, lip sync or anything it was like off lines and phone lines and stuff okay. but i didn't get to see any of the movie but of course the director's really happy okay they've sold it to harvey this is a song for marion yeah yeah okay and harvey's very excited about it I don't know if that's good or bad. But. Well, Harvey being excited about a film usually means he'll be walking up the, uh, the red carpet at the Oscars at some point next year. That'll be nice. So, that would be nice. a long time without drinks. <laughs> <you know. laughs> so it'll be, if you get nominated next year, for example, it would be, what, 51 years, 50 years? Well, it's, let's since see, 61, I think, was my first and only nomination. Mm -hmm. So that's what... Yeah, that's about a 50, 52 years. I say 52 years. Yeah, 52 I'm not getting a calculator out. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was your first role, Billy Budd. It was. And yeah. you were up, that was the year of Lawrence of Arabia, wasn't it? So yeah. I think you were up against Teddy Savalas yeah. and Omar Sharif. And yeah. yeah. Wait, what was that like? It was the first experience, first major feature film. I was still quite thick with Michael Caine at the time. <laughs> and, uh, and he hadn't got started. So, of course, he was a great intellectual about movies. And I remember him saying, listen, Tell, it's the wrong category, mate. <laughs> supporting actor. You don't want to get known as a supporting actor. <laughs> so I didn't go. <laughs> oh, no. Says the man who, of course, won two Best Supporting Actors at Oscars <laughs> yeah, in, yeah, well, in the course well. of his what career. What goes around comes around. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But, of course, you started off, you were in that, that great uh, vanguard of, of British actors uh, from the 1960s yourself, you know, Sir Michael Caine, you know, Albert Finney, Tom Courtney, all those guys. Did you feel there was a sense of excitement around that time that you were on the verge of breaking out, or that there was on the verge of something special happening? I think, I th in, yeah, I think there was, really, because... Um, O'Toole and Albert, it had already happened for them. And what was significant for somebody like myself was that they were, you know, absolute working class actors. Yeah. From working class backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And that gave me a lot of hope because prior to that, there were great working class actors, but you had to, I think you had to sort of pretend you weren't. Yes. You know, like James Mason, you never, I never dreamt he was working class. You yeah. know, and, uh, so there was this feeling that, uh, well, if they can do it, there's a chance for us, you know. Mm. And uh, of course, that was uh, supported by the fact that there'd been a big breakthrough with genuine working class writers 
Mm, like yeah. Pinter and Wesker and Willis Hall. So th- there was an awareness that there was a sea change, really. Mm, absolutely. And uh, you roomed, you were sharing a flat, weren't you, with Michael Caine? Yeah, Michael Caine and I, we met on uh, the English tour of Long and the Short and the Tall, which mm-hmm. was the first job I got when I came out of drama school. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of the tour, we decided he was always a great one for uh, having a great address. Okay. <laughs> so he figured, like, if two of us shared the rent, we could get a better address, you know. <laughs> so uh, we we moved into 12 Ennismore Gardens Muse, which <laughs> even today is chic. Very good. Although that was kind of small by our standards. You know? Okay. But uh, yeah, so it's a nice place to be, I guess. Yeah. Um, was, he, was he a tidy flatmate? I don't remember. The picture I have of him was that we... We, there were like two beds in one bedroom so whenever any of us got hold of a, a girl mm-hmm. one of us had to run the mattress in, <laughs> into the drawing room you know so you'd, very often I remember like sitting there talking to an innocent girl who'd come home with Michael and suddenly yeah. Michael would run in with this mattress with all the bed clothes on it and like throw it on the floor and she looked like she knew her end was near <laughs> 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 um, was, there a comp- was there a competitiveness between you guys? Not just yourself and, and Michael, and not just in that arena we've just discussed, but in terms of your acting, did you did you guys push each other to uh, to greater heights? You saw if Michael got a role or Albert Finney got a role? Did, no, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't like, like that. that. It, it just wasn't like that at yeah. all, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, initially I think there'd been some rivalry between Albert and Peter O'Toole because Willis Hall had written Bamforth in Long and the Short and the Tall for Albert. Mm-hmm. And O'Toole had auditioned for it, and they'd offered him the role of Johnson. And he said, no, I want to play Bamforth. Like, he knew it was a great role. They said, no, it's Johnson or nothing. He said, well, it's nothing, and he left. Mm -hmm. And then I believe just before rehearsal or during rehearsal, Albert got sick. I think he got an appendicitis or something. And I remember they called O'Toole and said, listen, we'd like you to come in. He said, I've told you it's... Bamforth or nothing, and they said, "Well, it's Bamforth. I'll be there in ten minutes." <laughs> so that and that made him, yeah. you know, that role was his big breakout role, you know. Okay. And what about yourself, uh, Billy Budd? You get an Oscar nomination for that. And was there an immediate heat around you? Um, I guess there was, but the thing was, the thing that was like looking back over my career, I can see how charmed it was, really, because yeah. I didn't know anything from anything, really. And um, but I was discovered by Ustinov, who you know was not only a great genius, but he was a great like, philosopher. He was a great thinker, you know. And towards the end of Billy Bard, he said to me, um, "Have you got any offers?" You know? mm. And I said, "Well, no." He said, "Well, I think we've done something special here, and um, people will try to make use of that." Mm. by using you and so you're going to get offered things and they won't necessarily be very worthy you know and I just want to tell you one thing if you do good things good things will come to you and really it was the first sort of really adult advice I'd ever had I Mm. think from from somebody you know that I had great respect for and I rather took it too literally I'm afraid so So I was out of work for 18 months (laughs) (laughs) Which is, um, I think the next thing you did was a collector, wasn't it? The next thing I did was the collector. And in fact, they gave me, they asked me to, two guys, Judd Kimberg and John Cohn, they asked me to go and see them in um, Bloomsbury. And uh, 
they gave me the the um the rough of the book and it had wasn't even bound you know it was just the galleys okay. and they said we want you to read this <clears throat> they bought they bought it in proof you know they bought it before it was published well they put an option on it and i was on the bus going home i started reading it and it was so it was so beautifully written but i realized almost immediately that i couldn't do it you know it was ridiculous it was like a kind of a invisible spotty snotty nosed uh, <laughs> bank clerk you know yeah, and i yeah. thought well i could maybe do that on the stage but it can't wasn't what, how i saw myself in movies you know okay so i just turned it down which must have struck them as kind of unusual <laughs> 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 only done one movie and my agent who you know, took him years to get used to my kind of behavior um and then they kept coming back to me you know and in the meantime, there was no thing, you know. Mm. There wasn't. There wasn't. You know. There wasn't anything out there. And uh, what were you doing to pay the bills? At that point? I think I was. Uh, I think I was working backstage at uh, the festival ballet. It was one of the things I was doing. I was also into ballet dancers at the time, so mm. it wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't just a stage. You want to recruit the dancers? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> And then they called me and they said, look, we've got William Wyler, you know, okay. you're going to turn down William Wyler. And I said, does William Wyler want me? And they said, yes. And I said, well, who's the girl? They said, well, we're testing girls. I said, well, I'll tell you what I do. I said, I'll test with the girls. So I'll show Mr. Wyler like the best I can do and then he can decide. So I tested with Samantha Agar, Sarah Miles and Kathy Breck, who I'd been at drama school with. So I did these three tests. And then they called me and said, Mr. Wyler's flown in, because he didn't direct test himself. We want you to meet him. And uh, so I go up to the old Columbia building, which I believe was in Dean Street. And uh, I remember waiting in this sort of vestibule at the end of a corridor, the doors opening and people looking and closing doors. And finally this little guy came in at the end of the hall. And he just kind of stared at me, not in a nasty way, but he was just, staring at me and he walked the whole length of the corridor got right close to me still looking at me I began to feel a bit unnerved you know? <laughs> so I said have you seen the test he nodded yes <laughs> I said which girl do you like he said I haven't looked at the girls yet <laughs> <laughs> so that sort of reverberated okay. into my mind and I said uh, do you want me to do this and he said yeah and then i was filled with kind of strange sort of confidence you know yeah. and i said um listen mr wyler i want to tell you i hear you torture actors i hear you make them do 30 40 takes you know i just want to tell you i like to do one <laughs> and wyler said you give me what i want in one we'll get along just fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and did you yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, very good. Yeah, very good. And he would, he, I would do my single, and then he would save me. In other words, I'd do mine first, and then you'd yeah. come around on Sam, which was a much more complex part. You yeah, know, absolutely. That's amazing. Uh, actually, I read an interview with you from last year where you said that the uh, three greatest directors you'd worked with in your career, given the list you've worked with, this is a very good list, uh, were William Wyler, Federico Fellini, and Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. You st stick by that? that that's, yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, the, well, the thing is, I'm not saying they were the greatest of all the directors I've worked with, but they were three great directors that I really melded with. You know yeah. what I mean? They were, they were the greatest directors for me. Mm -hmm. They just understood what I was doing. And, and in fact, in my book, I think I, I end the book talking about Soderbergh. And what I say about Soderbergh is that 
because he was the cameraman as well as the director and as my girl has always been the camera so I only really work for the camera so in the limey the camera and the director were not two and consequently the limey with the exception of a big speech where he wanted another angle was all one take you know Oh, okay, interesting. Even uh, though there's that great shot, obviously, where the, you you walk into the building and yeah. mayhem and yeah, and yeah, yeah. it was out. just one take. One we take. didn't we didn't waste any time, Stephen. We got it. Okay, we're in the wrong place. You know, it's very fast. You know, the speech that you give in sort of semi Cockney, well, in Cockney to Bill Duke, is just one of my favourite. Well, that's the moments. only, but that's the only one that's more than one take. Yeah. Because, and at the end, Bill Duke was heaven I must say he was, he was an amazing presence I mean he didn't say a word but he sat behind his desk you know so Indigo was rushing out of his aura you know and, uh, <laughs> so Stephen said are you ready and I said sure and he said to Bill you ready and Bill didn't have any lines said sure so bang I went off you know <laughs> and Bill Duke was like <laughs> <laughs> he said I don't understand a fucking word you've said <laughs> and then Stephen said to me could you bear to do another one because I'm going to change the angle of both cameras because I want to give the impression that it's a much longer speech I said fine so mm. I did another take but that was two takes that's that wow. speech did you improvise a lot of that no. or was that all in the script no. I mean no it was written but it was written by an American who lived in England yeah and so I kind of made it my own, but I can't really say I improvised it. I mean, I learnt it like there was no tomorrow, you know. Mm. So I just felt that I I wouldn't have cared if the scenery had dropped down, you know. I'd, <laughs> I, I'd have got through to the end of it, you know. But how do you think you'd have uh, coped with, uh, say, Stanley Kubrick or someone like David Fincher nowadays who uh, famously do 90, 100 takes? Well, I wouldn't accept the job, you know. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Even, no. from a, even from a Kubrick? No, I, w I wouldn't. I mean, I'd, I'd meet him and I'd be happy to talk to him. But um, the thing is, once you're in the business for a few years, you know everybody, you know what I mean? I knew the, I knew the assistant who worked with Kubrick, so I knew all yeah. the tricks that Kubrick got up to, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, But the truth was, like, I'm saved that, really. Like, Kubrick, it would never occurred to Kubrick to use me. Okay, why is because that? He, because we're just, like, it's like... The law of like kinds, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like he, he's, without sounding too camp, he, he's kind of vibrating at a different frequency to me, you know, yeah. and so I just, I seem to draw people to me that, that, that um, you know, I have empathy with. And even, you know, when I'm, when I'm on a set, I mean, on the, I mean, look, I have to do shit if I haven't got the rent, you know, which I do. Yeah. Um, so I, I can be doing crap because I'm broke but I'm always thinking this guy's a nightmare you know but like what what can I get out of this do you know what I mean like I yeah. hate to just do something just for the bread I, yeah. I always try to think how can I what's what's in this you know mm. what's in this that I haven't had before kind yeah. of thing uh, do, do you find now that you know you're 72 now 73 <laughs> <laughs> Seventy fourth year. <laughs> oh come on! You're looking very well for it. Uh, do you find you're looking back on things? I mean, obviously you've written several books now, including the new one. Yeah, the new. Well, yes, no, I have, and and I think uh, you know it's and the thing that the writing, the whole thing, the whole literary thing came to me in a strange way because the first book was getting through the grief of losing my mother. You know, I was very close to, and it sort of opened a door of my sort of uh, literary ability, and if I can call it that, and. Um, 
And with the last one, it wasn't really a bona fide autobiography. It was just a friend of mine called Richard Laplant who had started an e-book publishing company yeah. and asked me to write something for him. And, um, and I always kind of view it with trepidation like before I start, you know, because it's not something that, unless I'm really inspired, I don't have the craft as a writer. Like as an actor, I know that if I'm not inspired, I got as much craft as anybody else. I can pull something together. Yeah. It's not like that with writing, you know, either it's real shit yeah. or it's real good, you know? Yeah. And um, so I wasn't really sure what I could do, but he kept leaning on me. Have you started? Have you started? And, uh, and then finally, I was reading an article about how um, how all the schools, because of the recession, and uh, they're, they're all cancelling their drama classes and stuff, you know. And I thought to myself, maybe, you know, I'm a man of a certain age, I've been doing it for a while. Um, maybe if I wrote about the things that were important to me, yeah that have had a lasting impact on me as a performer. It's something that uh, young, like, would-be artists could read. Mm -hmm. So, although that wasn't really at the forefront of my mind, it was one of the things that I used as a spur to yeah. get me to start writing. And so I, I, so I forgot about that. I forgot about young artists reading it. But the truth was that I did hold on to that thing of who are the people in my life who've made a difference and what have they told me and what have I learned mm. that has enabled me to last as long as I have in fact <laughs> when we were on Song for Marion there was this young director he's like in his 30s and um, after about a week with Vanessa and I he suddenly said uh, it was very low budget he said um, wow he said you and Vanessa he said like you like you just nail everything first take. <laughs> so I paused to make sure everybody was listening, and I said, um, "The truth is, Paul. I said you've got Ray Graven stamp. You've got like a hundred years of movie making. You know." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Then with you, it's going to be a hundred and one." Indeed, but it's interesting <clears throat> to me that uh, with rare stamps and with the other books as well, these are e-books. So, this is yeah, an ebook. You're, you're moving into that. Uh, that yeah, well, that was that was my friend's idea, you know. Yeah. And the thing is that we did, f and we made a slight mistake in the sense that we've had many more inquiries about like paperbacks. So what we're doing now is, I think it's up and running. Um, you can get a paperback. So in other words, yeah. if you order it, we can print it as ordered, you know. So now it's ebook, audio and hopefully paperback. I don't know if it's actually started, but if it okay. hasn't, it's very close. Yeah. And you've got a website as well now. Yeah, man, I've been... <laughs> John Love dragged me into the 21st <laughs> century, you know. What is it? TerranceStamp.co.uk? That's it. There that is go. it. Presumably you, you don't maintain this website yourself, do you? No, no. I, I'm like... Uh, I'm like a dinosaur, man. I mean, like I don't have a mobile telephone, and really, um, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm seriously concerned about 
brain tumors, you know. That, that's true. They've got hands-free kits now, which uh, I believe are very good. So yeah, I don't use them. Myself, <laughs> yeah, I'm probably. But also, them. it's like a ring through my nose, isn't it? Really, I mean, like if I've got <laughs> yeah. a cell phone, you know, John Love can call me night or day. You know? <laughs> Precisely, you go off the grid, off the reservation. That's that's the way to go. Um, Terence, obviously, we can't let you uh, go without talking about General Sod, uh, which okay. is a, a sure. huge favorite. I'm constantly quoting Superman Two in the office, uh, constantly, and they all seem to be sword lines as well which is which is very strange um th that was a role that was a bit of a comeback for you because you had that that period in the wilderness in the 70s yes um when you, hollywood was no one was really employing you or you didn't want to be employed it was a bit, bit, no, bit no, of both no, really, it wasn't, wasn't it? really it was the hollywood nobody wanted to employ me like yeah. Yeah, and it's a mystery to me really because i i was young you know i was like 30 something. yeah and um what happened and so what i so in order to avoid the day on direct confrontation of being not wanted mm. I decided to go around the world you know yeah. and I told my agent I'm just gonna go around the world and I'll drop you a postcard from time to time if anything comes up and I started off and you know weeks became months and <laughs> months became years yeah. so in uh, 77 I guess I'd been out of work for about eight years mm. I had checked into an ashram in Pune, and this ashram was very interesting because it was like um, the guru, mm -hmm. if we can call him that, um, believed that the individual is more energy um, repressing the sexual urge okay. than giving into it. Okay. So you can imagine what it was like in the ashram. <laughs> um, Mattresses everywhere. Everywhere, and, and the most gorgeous <laughs> people from King. all over the world, you know. And you all had to become transformed. You all had to become wear orange, and you had a new name, and you stopped growing your hair and stuff. You started growing your hair. So at the time, I was called Swami Deva Viten, which mm -hmm. means like um, Master of the Beyond, although amongst the girls in the ashram I was known as master of the far out but um <laughs> and there was some and when I had first got to Pune I had checked into this hotel called the Blue Diamond yeah and I'd been there for a couple of nights and then I was asked to, I was invited to move into the ashram which of course that was what I wanted um, mm. but on Sunday mornings the Blue Diamond would do what is laughingly called full English breakfast you know can imagine what that was like <laughs> was like anything that was English, you know, it's like baked beans, fried bread, Christmas pudding, all on one. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing. And, um, and a couple of the English swamis, you know, been transformed from Sir Andrew Curzon to like Swami Yogi Yogi, you know. But we used to go to the, the Blue Diamond Sunday morning for this full English breakfast. And um, so we're all rock up there, there's about half a dozen of us. And as we come in, the concierge, and they are great sinyas, the Indians. Yeah. And the concierge must have remembered me, because I'm in orange. I mean, I haven't cut my hair for years. I've got a beard. He said, Mr. Terence, we've got a cable for you. So and he rummages around his desk, and he brings out this dog-eared like. <laughs> and it was that like, you're not old enough to remember, but the cables used to have, like, the, the type to dress is stuck on in lines okay. you know, on the front. And I, they put this, he put this thing in my hand, and like, it's hard to explain, but like, the psychic weight of this yeah. was like a bottle of beer, you know what I mean? And, mm. and I looked at it, and it said, to Clarence Stamp, <laughs> <laughs> the Rough Diamond Hotel, Pune, <laughs> India. 
okay. I thought, this has got to be good, you know. Yeah. And I opened it, and it was from my long-suffering agent. I must have sent him a postcard from the Blue Diamond. And he said, would you be prepared to come back to London to talk to Richard Donner about Superman 1 and 2? We have a scene with Marlon Brando. And could you stop in Paris and talk to Peter Brook about meetings with remarkable men? <laughs> and I thought, man, you know, the universe mm. wants me back. You know? Yeah. So, so I left. And when I came to, to Pinewood, I think it was originally, I was like still in orange, you know. I remember <laughs> my friend said, what's all this... Uh, What's this orange? Oh, he was really <laughs> curious. <laughs> well, but the hair, how long was the, was the hair? Well, no, point? I had to get the hair cut. Yeah, One of the things, I did, I met Richard Donner yeah. um, for, you know, when I came to London and um, and the, he said, will you get your hair cut? I said, sure. So that that was how it started, really. Did he ever say why you, after eight years away, after no movies? Well, the why curious you? thing was that there were different stories, like... Um, At the time, um, I just think it was like a casting director, you know. But a couple of years ago, I I, I had dinner with Donovan in in mm. California, and he went. I went out to dinner with him with his missus, and um, and I said to him, "Why did why did you why did you cast me?" And he said, "Oh man, we we thought you were amazing, like we." You know, I just saw the collector, and he said we were sort of lucky to get you. So he had—he didn't really have any idea that I was just an out-of-work stroller player. You know, I guess it was a different world back then. There was no internet movie database; mm. no one could keep tabs on actors. So nowadays, he'd go. No, in California, it's very inward-looking. You yeah, know? I mean, then uh, the fact that he was coming to England—he mm. was who? Who are the English actors? You know, have mm. got force you know he wanted somebody with a uh, presence you know yeah, and I'm incredibly happy about the director's cut because that they've revived all the Brando stuff you know yeah I mean they replaced Brando with Susanna York just Absolutely. to like weaken his case against them for percentage you know yeah it was so, a crazy situation because he'd filmed roughly 80% of the of both movies, 70% yeah. of both movies. No, he'd he was finished. Fired. He'd finished. Oh, no. Sorry. Richard, Dick Donner, yeah. Yeah, Richard <clears throat> Marlon had finished. And Brando and, and Donner was about three quarters of the way through. Okay. And and he'd, like, the budget was 12 million. Yeah, I think he'd spent 40. And they said, <laughs> finish part one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so he finished part one, which was the biggest grocer of all time. Yeah. And they immediately fired him and brought in Richard Lester to finish it. Almost and for years he was looking for his old material, you know, because he yeah. wanted to put his cut together, you know. It's always fascinating to me as a huge fan of uh, Superman and Superman 2 to see the Donner cut because the takes that Richard Lester chose for you as General Sod are much more thought of villain yeah. than the, the Donner takes, yeah. which are much more sinister. Yeah. 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 But, um, was that reshoots? Did Lester reshoot or did he just simply choose different takes? He did. He d he seemed to sh to me. Richard Lester seemed to shoot like more than he needed. Mm -hmm. But he was a much you know he was a very different director. I mean he was a really. I mean this is. I mean he was a great genius. You know, but he was a he was a guy who did running, standing, jumping, standing still film. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he was. He was a kind of like. A, uh, he had his own brand of comedy, but but Donna had his own brand of comedy. But yeah. the thing about Donna, I mean, really, if you if you're honest, 
they all borrow from those first two Superman, you know, yeah. all the comic book movies. I mean, mm. people say, oh, but they're so old-fashioned, but the point is they weren't then. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, then they were groundbreaking, you know. Yeah. And so he's was really subtle, you know, and the thing is, if there was a laugh there and you sort of went for it, mm. he'd give you a close-up. <laughs> you know what I mean? If like that was the thing about Richard Donner was that yeah. he was really he wasn't one of these guys who looked in the video tap. You know what I mean? He was there, and he was looking for stuff. Yeah, and um, yeah, and he was, and I was like, uh, what I was doing in the ashram was the ashram was about being present, mm -hmm. like in the present yeah and so it was okay for any other of the sannyasins mm. including the chicks to say swami you know are you really there you're daydreaming you know oh no, no. <laughs> so so when i came on to superman yeah i'd had a year okay of like uh awareness yeah daily awareness you know so and the first day i walked on that set it did seem to me like I had this kind of magnum strapped to my thigh. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I thought, this is perfect for General Zod. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He, he, I, I don't have to act anything here. I'll just be myself until <laughs> <laughs> it wears off. You know? Have you sent Michael Shannon the address for the ashram? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're about to lose John, so he's, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, okay, just good. Well, Terence, we'll keep you for just a couple more minutes. If you no, don't no, mind. I've got plenty of time. He's busy. He's getting me work. <laughs> <laughs> no ADR, hopefully. But, <laughs> but, um, but was, was there any reluctance on your part to take Sod? Uh, or, or did you connect with the character early on? What happened was that um, after the first session with Dick Donner, mm. um, I went down to do some tests, some lighting tests. Oh, what was the name of the first DP? He was he was rather wonderful, but he I think he died. Um, he died between when we finished the first one and when the second one was redone. Okay, I should know that. But it became yeah, I I, I should know it because he was a, like a legendary DP. But it was apparent to me from these tests that he was going to do his best to destroy what looks I had, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and I remember saying to a great friend of mine, Frederick Van Pallant, who was like a showbiz friend of mine, and I said, you know, it's okay doing this, playing this villain, but they're going to really destroy me, you know what I mean? They're <sighs> just going to make me look like they're lighting me from underneath, you yeah. know? And, um, <clears throat> and my friend said, listen, man, if this film works... And it will work if they can make you appear to fly. Every kid who's like under five will be taken to see it as his first ever movie. <laughs> and by the time those kids grow up, there's going to be more of them identify with General Zod <laughs> than the guy with the underpants on outside his trousers, you know. And the truth is that has come to pass. It has, yes. It has come to pass. And so, really, I've got a special kind of 
feeling for people who recognize me as General Zod. And, and it happens in rather strange places, like um, about 10 years ago, I was in New York, and a guy took me to his health club because mm -hmm. I wanted to have a steam. After a jet flight, I liked to have a steam. And uh, so he took me, and I got undressed, and I said, where are the towers? He said, oh, there are. So I'm walking toward the towers, stark naked, which is nothing, it's just guys. But I get to this, and there's no towers. So I walk back to where I came in, and I see these little, what we call loincloths. They're not yeah. proper towels, they're like tea towels. So I got one of these tiny loincloths, and I turn around to walk back towards the steam, and suddenly there's three guys. There was two black guys and a white guy. They look like licorice or salt, you know, and they're sort of staring at me, you know. They're walking towards me, but they're staring at me. So, <clears throat> being from Bo, you know what I mean, I always revert to <laughs> my upbringing. So I just walk straight at them, you know. Yeah. And as I get really close, it's obvious I'm not going to stop or anything. One says, you that General Zod? <laughs> and I say, fucking smile when you say that. <laughs> and they, just, and they just peeled away, man. I just walked straight through and they laughed, you know. So that happens a lot, you know. It, yeah. it, that really happens a lot. A lot with black guys as well, because okay, they yeah. obviously got dragged to it very early, you know, and they totally identify with Zod, you know. <laughs> so it's like a big deal for them to see Zod, you know, even though I'm... Older than Zod, you know. Absolutely. Well, now he's everywhere. Uh, I've got a T-shirt with Zod's face on it, with the word Neil underneath. Wow. Like, yeah. So there's. Uh, wow. I presume you don't see a cut of those prophets. <laughs> no, guessing. no, no. I don't see <laughs> anything like that. Is it, is it weird that obviously now for the the younger generation of <clears throat> Superman fans these days they kind of maybe associate you more with Jor-El now than with than with Zod? Well, there was a wonderful thing happened um, when I when I went to. The first time I did the, uh, I offer, I mean, I do them. I do most of those voiceovers in California, but the first one, but I can do them anywhere around the world because I do them down the line, you know. But the very first one, I was in California and I went to the Warner Brothers Sound Studio, which is really lavish. It's very beautiful, you know. And I get in there, there's a lot of people there, a lot of executives, and they, they've kind of come to meet me. And um, some saying hello to everybody, and then they give me the lines, and. Uh, and I say, listen, um, do you want me to do my Brando voice, you know? No, 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 we should. I said, yeah, but Marlon was like, drowned, you know? No, 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 your voice is fine, your voice is fine. I said, you sure? No, no, your voice is fine. So I did my voice. And then about three seasons later, I was at a party in, in uh, Santa Monica, and, and there was a guy there who was at Warner Brothers, and... Um, he said, oh, I'm, we're very happy to have you on Smallville, you know. I said, I said, why, why did they, why didn't they want me to do Brando? Like, he said, man, they just wanted you because of Zod. <laughs> they wanted you because you're associated with the first two, you know. Yeah. But vis-a-vis jor -El, I was in New York a couple of years ago. There was a Starbucks near Carnegie Hall. And I go in, and there's a young black kid there, <clears throat> and I say, okay, listen, I want a chai, a soy chai. I want two of the Tutso chai tea bags. I want this much boiling water, and I want the rest hot soy, no foam. He didn't say anything. He just starts making it. 
So I walk, and he's not looking at me, you know? So I walk along to where I pick it up. I say, Daddy, he's still not looking at me. I said, how much owe you? And he said, are you Superman's dad? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I am. He said, it's on me. <laughs> Amazing. Isn't that wonderful? There's a, you've got, there's a fantastic line on your website about the perfect cup of tea. The question is, of course, how do you make the perfect cup of tea? Is there, is there, is there, a, is there a methodology that you can share with us? Well, no, no. <laughs> I mean, the, the, I mean, the, the truth is that it's. It, I just become, as I get older, I, I'm conscious of the fact that I become more and more eccentric. You know? <laughs> so when I'm on, when I'm, um, when I go on a job, I generally get a first class ticket, which is a great treat, you know, because they're like about three grand more than club, which is how I normally travel. Yeah. But when I go on to British Airways, I say to them, they say, can we get you anything? And I say, I wouldn't mind a cup of tea. But they say, <laughs> I say, <laughs> so I say, if you got any good water, they say bottled water. I said, because, you know, the hot water comes out like the same as the lavatory. Yeah. You know? So I say, yeah, we've got very good water. I say, can you heat it in the microwave? <laughs> now the microwave is up the back. I say, I want it heated in the microwave. And I want like two tea bags and warm the cup, you know. And they <laughs> <laughs> but the perfect cup of tea, you see, has been outdated because the perfect cup of tea was to do with a, with a, with a prop making tea in the teapot and stuff like that which like nobody does no anymore, one does you know? it yeah <laughs> just tea bag in the teacup right, and away yeah. you go it's but having lived in water, having lived in india i mean once you've lived in india you're ruined because <laughs> the actual tea is so wonderful yeah you know what i mean we think we get good tea but we get seven eighths of the sweeping you know what i mean with a handful <laughs> of the good stuff whereas in india you get all the good stuff i mean it'd like blow your head off indian i've cupboard. been to a tea factory in india and i can confirm it was amazing yeah <laughs> no no it's truly truly true i miss that's what i miss about india you know there's a lot of references to india in rare stamps you know okay, because yeah. uh, a lot of life-changing things did happen yeah. to me there yeah absolutely uh do you find that these days that uh, not just jor-el or sod what else do you get recognised for? Is it Limey, or is it even your your brief Chancellor Florum in Star Wars? Or? No, the, no, I, I don't like being recognised for Star Wars. I didn't <laughs> get on with Lucas at all. But the thing that happened to me um, about six months ago, I was I was in the uh, V&A. There's a cup that I like to go and see in the v &A. It's a Shah Jahan's drinking cup. It's, okay. made, it's, it's fashioned from like a single piece of jade. It's incredibly beautiful. And uh, whenever I'm in London, which is not that frequently but whenever I'm near the v and I go and I look at this uh, so I'm well I'm in the v and I've just seen the Shah Jahan's drinking cup and the the, the v and is quite crowded mm. this particular day and I realised it must be some holiday or I don't know it's become more popular and as I'm making my way out I feel a kind of a a sort of frisson sight behind me you know mm. And I continue walking, and this frisson sort of follows me, so I think this must be to do with me. So I stop, and I look, and there's a sort of bevy of schoolgirls. They're all in blazers, they're rather beautiful. And uh, and I look at them and I say, and they giggle, and I say, what? <laughs> and they say, could you say it for us? Could, could you say it for us? I say, say what? 
always just say, say it a million times. So I say, this, this kind of voice I'll say, say it a million times. Say it a million more times. And the word you will have said two million times is, and they all said, yes. <laughs> and there's like people in the museum like stopping. So, so, I, so then we've done our little show. So I say, how old are you lot? And um, one in the front says, I'm 13. One else says, I'm 12. And there's one at the back who's like tall. And she says, I'm 15. <laughs> and I, thought, I have to get out of here fast. <laughs> <laughs> but so they'd gone to see Jim, yeah. But they'd seen Terence because yeah, they'd yeah. seen they'd yeah, remembered yeah. the Yes Man. So yeah. I'm getting all the offshoots from Jim's fan base. <laughs> There's a lot of, uh, of of affection of our among our readers for for John Tunstall. Is really? that, do you find that strange? Yeah, I do find it strange, but that's <laughs> but that's very recent. Well, I don't know. It's re it's only just really come to my ears recently there were there were a lot of crew on um on this film i just did in toronto where i just come from called black notes and there was a young actor there who was very brilliant young actor like comic and he just wanted to talk about john tunstall all the time <laughs> and talk about young guns and you know what i mean so it's the, you know because i i don't the thing i remember about young guns strangely enough was the two brothers yeah um charlie and emilio yeah, yeah because and, and the thing was that like emilio at the weekends from we were in uh, utah so it was quite easy to get in from california so at weekends emilio would have like executives and money people and agents coming down he was like setting up this production and charlie would have teenage miss world rodeo <laughs> rider <coming laughs> that was the thing i remember about those two because they couldn't have been more different yeah i believe that's called starting as you mean to go on yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah which proved to be the case you know. i have a question about one of your other talents terence serious question i'm gonna go over for dinner what should I cook her from your cookbook? Um, I think... I think the... This... The, it was this a view to getting laid, is it? Get the mattresses out. The thing is, I, I'm a great... I just... Um, I had a, a woman friend who's um, called Diane Goldner who's written a book called The Secret of Healing or something. It's about, like, the vibrational level of things, you know. And, um, <clears throat> and so I... Just the last, like, few months, I've been sort of contemplating about the vibrational wavelength of things. And the thing about... Um, the cooking for somebody and what I, I do myself I um, I will make if I've got a very special guest I will make the brown rice risotto and what I will do and I'll take like quite a time in other words I'll go out I'll find dried chanterelle mushrooms or, or rare mushrooms you know that you can, can only get dried mm. Um, and I'll soak those in good water and then I'll rinse the rice several times in tap water but then I'll, I'll, I'll boil like what I call good water mm. 
and then I will hand shop. I will try to get like uh, Waitrose um, import an onion that's called a sweet onion. It has one less amino acid than a normal onion, but you can put it in a salad raw. And it's delicious. It's like stronger than spring onion, but it's a proper onion. So I'll use half the onions for the salad that I make with it. But then I'll chop those onions and I'll get like really good garlic. I'll get organic garlic, you know. And I'll make, I'll, I'll chop up the onions and I'll cook them. In, I, use, I use very good ingredients, really. So I make that brown rice risotto. And towards, and the thing about it is you have to stay with it. That's what brings mm. the emotion into it because you can't leave it. You're just stirring it and you and it take about 35 minutes. And then after 30 minutes, then you put your mushrooms, you, you, you boil the water that they've soaked in. That's your last water you put in. And then you put the mushrooms in. I'm literally starving. I'm going to write. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, writing is, it is. But that's, that is in the book. Yes, but that is in the book. Amazing. But okay. I'm just telling you I'm the emotional underlay because yeah. I personally think women are very sensitive to things like that, especially mm. with guys cooking for them. Mm. It, it makes a big impression on them, and they know you can't make a, a, a whole food risotto without it taking time. You know what mm. I mean? Like, women know that mm. shit like that. Some <laughs> serious work. Uh, well, Terence, we will, we will let you go, but I, I just want to uh, pick up on something you just said there about George Lucas not getting on with him. Uh, I don't want to rake over a bad experience for you, but uh, wasn't no, it? No, was it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, it wasn't a bad experience. It was just that uh, he's very tight, you know, mm. and um, <clears throat> and uh, and I just arrived in Australia, mm -hmm. and I got this offer come through my agent phone up. Not this agent, another agent. Very excited. George Lucas wants you. When? Well, you know. Down to tomorrow. I said, Love, just landed in Sydney, you know. <laughs> no, no, but it's George Lucas. I said, Yeah, I know. It's a guy, you know what I mean? Like, is it a huge part? No, it's a couple of days. I said, You want me to fly back from Australia for a couple of days, you know? What's the part? Well, it is the president of the universe. I oh, okay. <laughs> and, and she said, You work with Natalie Portman. Like, she, Natalie Portman, I had been in love with Natalie Portman mm. since The Professional. Oh, yeah, amazing. But I'd never met her. But mm. she was only twelve, you know. And I'm not normally that Peter Phillips, but I just thought <laughs> she, she was such a natural, great actress. You know what I mean? Like you can see it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's absolutely. what we do. You. Yeah. So I came back, and uh, I had one day for costumes on on set the next day, and I got on set, and Lucas said, "Oh, I've given Natalie the layoff. That bit of paper up there is Natalie." You know? <laughs> oh, so that was the first. So then I do my couple of days. I said to him, got any direction for me? He says, yes, he's uh, Harrod. I said, oh, okay, I can do Harrod. Um, and I finish. And then producer starts calling my home. Okay. I know that's bad news. Okay. They don't want to go to the agent. <laughs> they want something, but they, they want it free, you know? So I don't know something. <laughs> and, as luck would have it, yeah. <clears throat> I go to Wagamama in Lexington Street. Okay. For lunch, late yep. lunch, and in the fucking restaurant is <laughs> Lucas. And oh, you're great! It's great, people. I just, you know, I've missed a shot. And could you come in tomorrow? It'd be really great. And I think I can't. Like so I go in. <laughs> And while I'm in there, I'm talking to this lady producer. Can't remember.
and I say, you know, he owns this, right? She said, yeah. I said, they make like hundreds of millions. Yeah. She said, yeah. I said, does he ever like, does he ever give the actors like bonus, you know? Because I mean, that, you know, what's the difference between 100 million and 60 million, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, because he's very good. He, he often gives actors presents. I said, oh, that's nice. You know? So at the end of the day, I go into my dressing room and there's a box of like colored, they look like colored pencils, <laughs> but they're Star Wars stencils. And I realized, <laughs> like, that's my present, you know? <laughs> So may the force be with you, George. You know, you obviously need it more than most. You know? <laughs> well, that's a gift that keeps on giving. I, I presume exactly. you've kept these stencils and you're I using them all the time. I just left them in the dressing room. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, right. Well, let, let's end with a happy memory because you've eventually, on Superman, you got your, uh, you got your scene with Marlon Brando. How was that? Yes. No, it was... He, he, got tw he got a million bucks for... 12 days and on the 13th day was my scene okay. with him so I said to him Marlon it's 13 days I thought you were getting paid for 12 I've given them today gratis <laughs> <laughs> because he was giving them today gratis they didn't have time for him to be my eye line okay. Mm. okay so I was his eye line all right and this is my scene with Marlon, but I thought to myself, I don't care, this is my scene with Marlon, you know what I mean? This is Che Guevara, this mm -hmm. is you know, Terry, this is, you know. So we get on the set and he's like, I have to tell you, he's, I can't tell you how funny Marlon is. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, we used to get sent off the set because we were <laughs> laughing so much, you know what I mean? Like, you can't, you can't, you can't imagine how funny he is, you know? So. I'm standing there, he's standing there, and he's... <laughs> you, General Sergeant. You, General Sergeant. You, General Sergeant. I got this bit of paper. I said, Marlon, what are you doing? Well, I said, you know, I can't remember any lines. It's kind of written up, but uh, I thought if I could learn this first line, I can do it on a turn, so it look, looks so natural, you know? And I look up, like, beyond the camera, hanging yeah. from the ceiling, is this, his speeches with his own special <laughs> light, you know. I look at this, nothing. I said, Marlon, how are you going to do Lear? How are you going to do Macbeth? He said, I've learned them already. <laughs> <laughs> but on the scene, he comes up, he steps up to the mark, and he's obviously, we've just been having a laugh, you know. And they say, action. And I, like... I went off, you know. I just went off, you know. And it took him like a split second to realize how seriously I was taking it. Yeah. And then he was there with me, you know. I, so I felt yeah. the Brando presence, you know, I felt this like giant of cinema because he was right there with me. You know? Something he was like, okay, I have to raise my game now. Yeah, yeah no, no, but he just thought this is a serious guy, yeah. you know. Yeah. Fantastic. So it was great. It was well worth it. Because it, it, that would have been a difficult role to, or, or an easy role rather, to send up to play Camperley, mm. General Sod. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but Richard Donner didn't want that. Like I thought. I mean, look, for me, for 
Terence. Mm. That was high camp. I mean, yes. I haven't done much higher camp than that. <laughs> but at the same time, it had to be menace high camp. Yeah. So, and also, there's scenes in the rushes that I believe were cut that are extremely high camp, you mm. know, where I'm making the girl walk. Use I told I mean directing I said just follow my leg you know so we're walking like that you know because she said why are we doing that I said because we've been stuck in this module for like <laughs> hundreds of years <laughs> <you know? laughs> so I had all kind of crap I just come out this mad ashram <laughs> full of ideas you know about tantra and redirecting the sex uh, you know yeah sure. I was full of nonsense what did you think when you when they first presented you with uh, General Saad's black leather jumpsuit with the the fig cut down to the well that's when I realized you know that it, that it was a camp thing mm. I just thought oh, I can't there's no way I can uh, not pretend this is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> with the thigh boots you know what I mean like there's no way I can do it you know I just got to be I got to understand how funny this is, you know, but at the same time, I got to be kind of menacing. And did you keep that, or is that back in the dressing room with the Star Wars? <laughs> no, 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 no. I just I was happy to get out of that because <laughs> the, the truth was about that movie was the flying is unusually painful. Yeah, unusually, and even for like a stoic like me, you know, it's, mm. the girl would often pass out on the wires. They'd wow. look up and suddenly she'd be hanging upside down. You know what I mean? It was like extremely yeah. painful, and. The thing was that once your once they take your 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 support away, they invariably want to twitch some light. Yes, yes. And you only have a couple of minutes pain-free, you know. So the pain-free minutes they're changing the light, you know. They in this in this particular instance, technicians didn't have any idea of what we were going through, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. No wonder Salt was so angry all the time. <laughs> exactly. There's good reason for that. Fantastic. Well, Terence, it has been an My absolute pleasure. pleasure, sir. Thank you Gentlemen. very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you, Terence. Thank you. Thank you. And that was the Terence Stamp interview in its full magnificent glory. Uh, we will have more special Empire podcasts coming up over the next few weeks. And look out for a spoiler-filled Drew Goddard interview about Cabin in the Woods coming out on the same day as that film is released, which is April 13th. Until then, bye bye